Try to have you multitask in there. So we're in Galatians, back in Galatians chapter 2, if you want to turn there. And we want to talk about defending the gospel. So we've had Paul, as we've been uh, starting through this and going through this, uh, defending his position, defending who he was and who he is. As an apostle, he made it uh, clear that his apostleship was not necessarily a, a consensus of the other apostles. He says, I was called of God, not of man. And he's there in Galatia addressing this issue of one gospel, that there's one way to get to heaven. He's battling the law versus grace, because some of the believers have been um, sort of warped in their thinking about what's been going on. And so we sort of ended with that with his call with his call to the apostleship and all what that meant. And so now as we begin in um, chapter 2, you know, what does, what does this all mean in, in Paul's life? And so uh, in the first two verses here, it says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles, um, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. So we see this at the very beginning that it begins really with a crucial meeting between uh, Paul and some of the other apostles in Jerusalem. Now we know that he hasn't met with the apostles much to this point. He had gotten saved. He had been away for about three years. The Lord was teaching him things. He was probably deep in, in study and, and just the revelation of things because he was looking at things before in a different way. As a Jew, they were looking at things differently. And so it ends up really with this magnificent uh, description that we'll see a little bit later about being justified before God through faith and faith alone. And many times when we talk about grace and faith in Christ and Christ alone, People talk about a cheap gospel sometimes or an easy gospel because uh, easy believism sometimes falls in there. People say, well, what are you just saying? You can just continue you know, in your lifestyle as it always was after you said a prayer. And that's not what the Bible teaches at all. It talks about that when we give our life to Christ, a change happens, but we're not bound by the laws. The laws that they had then were of man. And man had all these regulations, and we're going to talk about them in just a moment. So in the prior chapter, it ended as Paul was explaining um, his conversion, and how the Lord had really changed his life, and really opened his eyes by, by blinding him. And for the first time in his life, he really saw who God was, and leading him to uh, begin preaching that same gospel that he once persecuted. And it's always important to remember that Paul was an enemy of the cross of Christ for, for a long time. Even though he was a Jew, even though he believed in God, he was an enemy of the cross of Christ. He didn't believe in Jesus or who Jesus was. He had a different view of who he thought that the Messiah even was. But eventually it says that he, he traveled here to Jerusalem. Uh, he traveled with Barnabas, who was a, a Jewish Christian, and he also had Titus come with him, who was a Gentile Christian. So he had Christians from different backgrounds that were with him. And so we see as he came 
he had this meeting and um, they had probably taken some gifts with them. You know, we talk about helping families in need. Uh, we believe that, that Barnabas and, and Titus and Paul, as they came, probably brought some gifts or resources to help those in that land that were going through a, a difficult famine at that time too. But Paul also took advantage at this time of... Uh, to have this meeting, this private meeting, he says he wasn't doing these things publicly, but he was talking privately with some of these other apostles. And it was probably a really a, a get-to-know-one-another event. So, like I said, when we look at the original 12, they were all sort of chosen, they all walked with Jesus, they sort of knew each other. Um, you know, we would say like friends knew each other, but then the, here comes somebody from the outside probably in a relational type of a setting. And they're looking at Paul, who is from the outside here. And it was a time for them to really get to know him and see what he was all about. The apostles took the gospel very seriously. And of course, we know that Paul did too. But they wanted to probably make sure that they were on the same page with one another, that there wasn't uh, something that was contradicting one another. And so we see this as... As Paul meets with them, he's probably sharing this gospel as he had shared. Um, he says, he communicated to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. He was telling them what he was trying to teach these Gentiles and what he was presenting to them at that time. And so Peter and John were probably two of the more instrumental ones there. And so he's having this dialogue. And so many times, even when we talk... We can look at other churches, we can look at others who claim to be Christians or claim to have faith, but the question sometimes needs to be, you know, what really do you believe and what do you believe in? See, there's a lot of them that, that a lot of religions out there that are, are sort of borderline. They, they, they have, you know, you can look at the Jehovah Witnesses, for instance, and they'll talk about Jesus, but they're talking about a different Jesus. You can talk about the Mormons, but they have a, a different prophet when they start getting into things. And so we look at those and say, well, you know, we want to be inclusive of everybody. Doesn't everybody believe the same? Aren't we all going to the same place? But Paul uh, earlier said, if any, if I or an angel or anyone preach anything other than this gospel, he says, let them be accursed. And so we see this is going to happen. So to these other apostles, Paul uh, presents the message about Jesus which he has been preaching to the Gentiles in other parts of the world. And it's always exciting to hear about works that are being done. It was exciting when Arnie and Jeannie could come up and they could share their video and we see how God is working in different parts of the world. Uh, we know Arnie and Laura Jean, when they were in China, we could see the work that they're doing there. It's always good to hear how the Lord is working. And Paul is confirming this, that this is the same message that they are preaching. That one cannot be saved by keeping the law. And that's Paul's thrust. When you get into the book of Romans, it's a theological gem. If you get in there and you start reading that, it talks about being saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone can boast. The law does not save us. But there's something sometimes when we're raised away, or there's something in us that, that tells us, I need to do something in order to earn my salvation, or to earn some part of my life. But God says that's not how it is. He puts the desires in us, and we do the works we do because of salvation, not for salvation. 
And so Paul wants that to also be very clear. That salvation is found only through faith in Christ. Only through faith in Christ. And is the substitution that he provided by dying for us on Calvary. And so this is his message that he is being very clear about. So the, the question for the Gentile believers is whether they must start following the law after trusting in Christ. So, as again, when we talk about easy believism, sometimes people say, well, you know, you're saved. Now you got to do this to, to maintain or to hold your salvation. And one of the statements that I always make is that there was nothing you did to earn your salvation. So what makes you think that there's anything you can do to keep your salvation? See, it says that God holds us in the palm of his hand. It is God that is sovereign. It is God that is powerful in our lives. And so when we look at that, we put our trust in him. And again, we do these things not to pay off our salvation because we can't do that. There's nothing that we can really do that's going to pay God back for what he did for us. But as we read on here a little bit, we learn that we begin to do these things because of a relationship with him. We're not doing it to pay back. We do it because our nature has been changed. Our person has been changed. God has been doing this work in us, and it just comes out. And so it says, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because a false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So the battle that Paul is having here, and the battle that sometimes we can have with others, is they want to add things to the grace in the faith. And we say no. The work is totally and fully done by Christ on the cross. It is finished, he said. But it said that they had these that came in. And so they talk about Titus here a little bit. And it says, Titus, who was uh, with me being a Greek, um, was compelled to be circumcised. They were coming in saying, Titus, who was a Gentile convert, right? A Gentile Christian, they were saying, but you need to be circumcised in order to be one of us. Now, in the Jewish faith, if a Gentile wanted to become a Jew, that was something that they needed to do. They needed to adhere to the circumcision and have this done. But for Titus and for the Christian faith, they were no longer under these laws. They no longer had these works that were tied in there. And so for these Gentile believers, do we need to start doing these laws? And Paul was battling this. And it says that there were those that secretly had coming in. It says these false brethren, false teachers, false prophets. They came in and began to, to add these burdens back on to people's lives. And he says they were attacking the very liberty that Christ gave us. The freedom that we have in Christ. Listen, none of us are bound to go to church. We don't get brownie points for coming to church. I hope today you're in church because you want to be in church, because God has placed it in your heart to be here. It's not a mandate. It's not a law. There's nothing in the Bible that says you must come to church to get to heaven. We are going to heaven because of what Christ did for us on the cross. And so all the apostles agreed with this, that this is not needed. 
They said that Titus does not need to be circumcised. So the apostles are in agreement with us as they are, are talking about the situations there, about these law and these works that are, are there. The law of Moses would have required that. But they said, not through the law of Christ. Some of Jerusalem didn't agree. So Paul, again, he calls them false brothers, false teachers. And they wanted to steal away that freedom. And there are those that want to steal away your freedom. They want to make you feel guilty for things because they've put God in a box. They've made a little checklist and say, well, you're not measuring up. And so you need to do this and you need to do that. Again, we can talk about uh, cults like the Jehovah Witnesses who tell people, you need to go out and you need to knock on so many doors in order to earn your salvation. Or you need to do this in order to earn your salvation. Or you need to give this in order to earn your salvation or to find a place in God's home. Jesus has come as you are. I love you as you are. They wanted to make all Christians slaves to the law. See, that's the only thing that Satan has for us, to fight us, is to cast that doubt in our life. You're not good enough. You're not doing enough. You know, you're not doing this enough. You're not doing that enough. And the whisper is always there. Now there's a difference between hearing it up here and feeling it in your heart. Again, when the Holy Spirit leads us to do things, we need to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit leads us. But that's just because we were created to do good works for God, but not for the salvation. And so, as it continues, it says, but from those who seem to be something wherever, uh, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter. So again, we look at the scripture and we say, well, what is Paul saying here? Well, he tells us a lot. He says, God shows no favoritism. That's a wonderful thing. That's a, that's a beautiful thing for all of us because sometimes we look at these, these people in the, the gospel, we can look at the men and women that are, are portrayed in the New Testament and say, oh man, to be somebody like that. But God says you are somebody like that. You know, Paul was an ordinary man that did extraordinary things. We are ordinary people that can do extraordinary things when we depend upon God for our strength and for our leading and for our guidance. So these people that were coming in and they wanted to make people slaves to the law that was a way for them to control this movement that was going on remember the Jews and remember the Pharisees the teachers of the law they had a lot of control over the, the Jewish faith over the people they were esteemed highly by, by all the people of the community they were looked upon when they spoke people listened they could add laws they could direct people in what to do and what not to do and when that liberty in Christ came, that man-made power was taken away. And it threatened them in their life. And we see that today in cults. A lot of times there are people that raise up and they want to be powerful. And they want subjects to be under them. And they want to direct people's lives. God says it's not that way. Our freedom is found in Christ. And in Christ alone. And so... It says that they wanted to make these other Christians slaves 
to this law, to be bound by the law. And the thing about the law is how could you ever memorize all those? You know, over 700 and some laws that were, that were there, and, and it, it, it governed everything that you did. I mean, you'd wake up in the morning and it's like, could I do this? Can I do that? Can I walk this far? Can I not walk this far? Can I carry this much weight or not this weight? They had all these things that governed um, the Sabbath days, your clothing, your food. And again, we're going to read a little bit as we go on about, about Peter and Jews and even Gentiles eating together. I mean, there was all sorts of these laws that governed people. And they said, you're free in Christ. Are you walking in that freedom that Christ has for you? Or are you being bound by some of these other things? The other apostles will recognize that Paul was an apostle of his own. So they talked and they listened and they, they agreed with him. And it tells us that they even offered him the right hand of fellowship. Sometimes we hear about that when people want to become members of, of a church. And we had this not too long ago. A lot of people joined the church. We talk about offering the right hand of fellowship. That's sort of what they're doing with Paul here, this right hand of fellowship. It goes on to say, For he who worked effectively in Peter, for the apostleship to the circumcised, also worked effectively to me towards the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, talking of Paul, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and to the circumcised. So he says, they really welcomed him aboard. We are in this together. We are a team. We are fellowship. When we talk about a church, we need to talk about fellowships. We need to understand that we work together as a team. That we are, are uplifting one another, encouraging one another in the things that we do. And I don't know how many of you watch sports, but on a football team, you have a, a bunch of players out there. And if every player did his own thing, what would that look like on the field? Be a mess, wouldn't it? Yeah, people going this way and that way. But when uh, when uh, uh, players or when all the players on that team work in conjunction with one another, beautiful things can happen. The plays turn out the way that they should be. And so they offer this right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to Paul, and um, they're on their way. And it's just like a blessing, I think, for Paul. He was there to do the work that he had been called to do, but how that must have made him feel to say, I am now accepted. He wasn't just ex worried about getting man's acceptance. He says, I've been chosen of God. I know what i got to do. But it's always a blessing when others come alongside of you and encourage you in that type of work and in the things that you do. We can say as a church board, you know, that we're always going to stand for, for these principles, but it's so nice when the the body comes behind and says, we appreciate you standing for those values and doing those things that have been called to do. This might have been the same kind of formal mind, means of uh, really declaring Paul as that unrecognized apostle uh, that he was. And so later, as we read through this, it says that uh, they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was also eager to do. And so he has this, this right hand of fellowship. He says, you know what? Peter's going to be ministering here. You're going to be ministering here. And we know that they cross over uh, into different things. We don't just say, well, I'm just going to do Gentiles. You're just going to do Jews. But he says, as, as we're going along this path, he says, we are recognized this. 
But one of the things that they told him is they said they only desired that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was also eager to do. They had the same heart. We can see there that they had the same heart, not just to reach the spiritual needs, but also the physical needs. Sometimes in churches we forget the the social needs that are out there, the people that are struggling in different ways, financially, um, you know, with food on their table, clothing. James would talk about that also in his um, epistle, that, you know, what good does it do to say, hey, we'll be praying for you. You pat them on the back and send them on their way. How has that helped somebody who's cold? How has that helped somebody that's hungry? And so Paul and the other apostles are saying these things work together. You know, when I used to be able to travel down to Mexico with Arnie and Jeannie, I remember uh, seeing how appreciative the people were down there. You would see these people on dirt streets, muddy streets, and some of the children, they had them white dresses. I remember some of the, the girls with the white dresses and the boys with the white shirts. It's like, how do they stay so clean down here where it's so dirty? But they appreciated those things, and they appreciated... Uh, any little thing that you could do to help them. There's great poverty there. Some of these people would live, and you saw some of the houses there. But I mean, I think the first year I was down there, there was a family that was living in a van with no wheels. And it was a mother and father, and I think it was it was either two or three kids in a little abandoned van that they were living in. That was their house. And so part of our, our ministry to people is really caring for them because... Sometimes, you know, people don't want to hear what you say until they, they know that you care for them. And so that's part of the church's responsibility too. And so Paul sort of closes out with that in this section that we're going to close with today. They desire that we should just remember the poor. Are we remembering the poor? This time of, of year where we come to Thanksgiving, I hope that you've really taken time in your life to pray and, and thank God for the things that he has blessed you with this last year. But now we come into this, this season where it really gets pretty commercialized now. And, uh, you know, a lot of things are, I guess, you know, I think the focus gets off of Christ. But we have the opportunity now to, to preach Christ and to share Christ. And not only with our words, but also with um, the things that we can do to help those families that are in need. So that would be my prayer also. Now later, Peter is going to get himself in a little bit of hot water because we see the apostles, as they have agreed to some of these things, uh, we know that Peter um, is in a spot where he's eating with some Gentiles and some other Jews come, and there's a little bit of peer pressure there, and he buckles a little bit and walks away. But we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But think about standing strong. We have nothing to fear. God has given us the ability and the strength and the power of his Holy Spirit in our life to overcome all things um, that we come in in face to face with. So that would be our prayer today as we close. So as we close, let us just thank God again for all that he has done. Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, your blessing in our life. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, we thank you that we can defend the gospel message in such a way to say it is by faith we have been saved through grace not of works. Lord, sometimes it would be so easy just to say, I'd rather pay $10 for my membership and it would be mine. But it's not that way. There's nothing that we are able to do to earn our salvation or to buy our salvation or to get our salvation 
other than to accept that gift which you have given us. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for what Jesus did on the cross. We thank you for his great love for us. And Lord, as we battle things in our life, as Satan sometimes is on our shoulder, tempting us and telling us that we are not good enough, that we haven't done enough, that we're falling short in all these things, Lord, help us to stand on your promise of your word that says, in our weakness, you are made strong. And Lord, help us to depend on you and the scriptures that tell us we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, we ask that our, our spirit be that of one of humility. Lord, that allows you to mold us and make us into what you would have us to be. Lord, help us to be encouragers of one another in our church and in our community. Help us to be sensitive to the needs of those that are around us and to really see the needs and not just to pray for them, but to reach out where we are able to make a difference in the lives of those around us. Again, Father, we thank you, Lord, for the blessing of this church. Lord, we know that as a country and as a as a church right now and as individuals, we can be going through some difficult times and we're facing struggles and we're facing challenges. But Lord, help us through all these things to keep our eyes on you. And Lord, again, to be busy about doing your work. You have given us minds to think, Lord. There's nothing that we cannot overcome if you are with us. And so, Lord, help us to be effective tools in your kingdom. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.